poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today is a villager-centric episode, and I'm joined by Cody Walker. Cody is currently active duty in the Air Force, picked up poker about four years ago, started getting serious about three years ago, and he hopped into the village maybe one and a half years ago or so. Welcome to the show, Cody. How you doing, man? Hey, doing great, Brad. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, when did you hop into the village? I, I can't. Yeah, it was, I think it was actually uh, pretty much a year ago exactly. I think I did pre-flop boot camp last January. Okay, so one year. Um, and going back to you finding poker, you know, how, how old are you right now? 34. Oh, man, you're, you're getting up there. Yeah, I'm definitely getting up there. <laughs> it doesn't get better um, in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> especially after this year. I think I've uh, I've gained 10 years after this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, having, know, knowing what you went through, I can certainly attest that like it's been, it's been a tough year. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that, you know, in a little bit. But right now, like, Let's talk about, you know, where you grew up, who you are, where you come from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm from Colorado, born and raised out there, lived there pretty much my whole life. Besides, you know, when I was younger, my dad was in the Marine Corps for a little bit. Uh, so I lived in San Diego for, you know, maybe like a year. Um, but other than that, uh, grew up there when I was around 20 years old. I joined the joined the Air Force. And then what led to that decision? Uh, man, I don't even know. I, I actually went to a technical trade school for architecture and that was my dream. And I was working in a King Supers grocery store and, you know, I, we Colorado Springs is a huge military town. And so we always had uh, guys in uniform coming in and I was serving them and helping them. So I, I got to get to know them and talk to them a lot. And then, uh, if I really wanted to pursue my architecture <clears throat> dream, I knew I was going to have to do a shit ton more school. You know, I only did a two year trade school and I, I wanted to be like, you know, uh, big time, not just like a, an assistant drafter or something like that. So I knew I probably needed at least four or five, six more years of school. <clears throat> and I was kind of tired of being home, living at home. Uh, at the time, I was like, man, I'm sick of Colorado. 
Uh, but you know, you live and you learn and now I just miss it so much. <laughs> yeah. But any, but yeah. So any regrets about not fully pursuing the architecture? Uh, no, because I just had such a great career in the air force and, uh, you know, looking back, I don't think I would change it. I, I've just learned and grown so much. So yeah, I finished the architecture trade school and then I just went into a recruiter's office and, and just went from there. And it was like, I think January, February timeframe. And then I was out the door in May, uh, May of 2008. So it was quick. So I'm going up on 14 years now and yeah, it's, it's been really tough, but you learn and grow uh so much so i definitely definitely don't regret it what's the typical length of somebody who hops into the air force um so we got any we got people that go anywhere from like oh i just want to join so i can have my school paid for and they do like their four years and they're out maybe six years and they're out and then once you kind of get over that like 10 12 year hump uh most people make it to about 20 where you can retire and then you can retire at 20 years and get a get a pension and then most people retire and then they still stay in that government area get a civilian government job and then you know work on a second type of retirement so uh, that's pretty much my goal now what are some lessons that you've learned while being in the air force so I think um, some of the best lessons I've learned is uh, being a good leader, but also being a good follower. Um, so in the beginning of your career, you're typically just, you know, you're always following direction and, you know, you, you don't really get to lead as much. But as I become uh, older and grew through the ranks, uh, I've been able to to lead a lot more. And uh, something that I really enjoy is also like mentoring people below me and helping them grow and helping them learn. And so uh, I, I think it's super beneficial. Um, there's There's been a lot of people I've been able to supervise and actually uh, see them grow and see them change over time. Uh, of course, you you have your troubles with the with the people or the troops that you know, aren't very good or, you know, they have issues and problems or they're all, they're always late to work or, you know, whatever the case may be, you're always going to have your uh, troublemakers. And so it's, those are, those are the challenging ones. And sometimes you can change them and sometimes you can't. So you kind of just have to learn, learn, learn to grow with that and know that you can't always change everybody you lead. And tell me about learning that lesson, because I know that that's like, uh, it's an especially important one as a leader, as a teacher, that sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I know that like, at least in the beginning of my teaching career, it was hard for me to accept that sometimes it doesn't work out. Like it was exceptionally difficult, like for like, I just wanted to keep trying and like, doing anything that I could, but then just inevitably, you know, sometimes shit just doesn't work out. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you can attest to that uh, from a coaching perspective. You know, there's going to be students that they just, they just don't put in the work or they don't have the drive or the motivation. Uh, the discipline. To keep, yeah, to keep growing and getting better. And so uh, I guess the way I looked at it is, yeah, you, you have a failure, but it, it's not it's not really on you as long as you put in the work and you uh, did all that you could to, to help that person. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's really all that you can, that's all you can do. You can't be hard on yourself. And, and then you can also look at the people that you've helped and know that you, you can still be that good leader or that good coach because you've helped so many other people. And it was just these, a few other guys that, that, you know, they just, some, some people aren't cut out for it. You know, Uh, some people aren't probably cut out for poker. Some people aren't cut out for the military and there, there's still a lot of guys that they just, they're not cut out for it. And you, you know, you have to kick them out. Yeah. Ultimately as a mentor, you know, you're a tool that your mentorees can use. And if they decide not to use the tool that they've they're investing energy into there's nothing you can do right it's not like you know if you equate yourself to like a treadmill at the gym like it's not the treadmill's fault that the person doesn't hop on the treadmill the treadmill is just doing its thing right what it's programmed to do um it's the person's fault for not getting on the treadmill so yeah that was that was a lesson of like responsibility that you know my responsibility is to do everything i can the student's responsibility is to follow instructions, do homework and try, you know, really just try as hard as they can to complete the tasks that they're given. And like, if they don't do it, they don't do it. And that's just, you know, they're really just harming themselves at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's talk about you finding poker and, you know, were you a card player growing up? Did you play any cards? Like how, how did you fall into the world of poker? Yeah. So, uh, growing up, I didn't play much cards besides like, uh, Uno and, and go fish and, you know, those types of games, but I was always really into games that involved strategy. Um, so I, I loved like monopoly. Um, I loved chess and, uh, I wasn't very great at chess, uh, but I, I just loved playing it. I loved the the strategy side of things. And then uh, there was a few, I, I guess, Clue, the game of Clue was, you know, you could you could have a build a strategy on on how to win and, you know, different things like that. So just anything where you got to kind of like think outside the box, uh, I, I was really interested in. So uh I never really got into poker until uh, until just a few years ago. But leading up to that point, um, one of my first places I was stationed at was uh, McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey. And so right now I'm in uh, I do geospatial intelligence. But at the time I was doing transportation. So um, so I, so I switched. Got, jobs. You can't just say geospatial intelligence without. What what is geospatial intelligence, Cody? Uh yeah. So breaking it down, it's pretty much uh, imagery intelligence. So anything that has to do with analyzing 
uh, images or a video feed. So that's that's the shortness of it. Cool. Um, but uh, so I was doing transportation, which pretty much involved like I, I was like a bus driver for the air crew, taking them to their planes. I was a dispatcher, forklift driver, tractor trailer driver, you know, like heavy equipment op operator. Um, and so we there was a guy that just came into our shop and he he talked about how he played online poker. And he was like, yeah, you know, I won like a, I won $4,000 in a tournament and this and that. And then, so like a couple of us would get together, you know, every so often, maybe like once every three months, if that we would do like a $20 buy-in tournament at a guy's house. And then we would just start playing, but I, but I didn't really know much about it. And I just thought you had to be lucky. I thought it was like, I thought it was like blackjack or roulette. This is 2018, uh, Cody. Where? <laughs> no, no, back in this was uh back in 08. Oh, oh okay, okay. 08, so 09, we're, sorry. We're way back sorry. there. Okay, okay. This yeah. is the... This was um this was when I first got to my first base okay, out in sure. New Jersey. I was uh in the transportation career field. So this was still about 2008 to 2010 time frame. Gotcha. And so we did a did a couple house games and then he would like he was uh kind of crushing us and then he kept telling all of us to read some poker book but none of us would <laughs> we're like oh we ain't gonna waste our time reading reading some you know some poker book <laughs> uh like it's just luck anyway it's all you just got lucky you know whatever yeah and uh um, eat your fucking broccoli kids just eat it <laughs> come <yeah>. on <laughs> so uh, and then, then I did some deployments, um, out of New Jersey while I was still in transportation. So, um, uh, I, I never really got back into playing cards until, you know, maybe just like, uh, four or five years ago, uh, fast forward to when I got to my next duty station, which was Virginia down in, uh, Langley. So Hampton hampton virginia so uh 2010 or 2008 to 2014 i was in in new jersey doing transportation and then i i switched career fields and went into intel and then i was in virginia from uh 2015 up until 2020 uh just last year so fast forward to uh, about maybe four years ago when I was in Virginia, uh, one of my neighbors that I first met, he he had some poker nights at his house with like $20 tournament buy-ins. And, you know, I'd just play here and there. And I was like, ah, same thing. Like, I always lose. I don't, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I feel like it's just luck. And then uh, another guy I worked with, he was he he was like a little bit more um, into poker than than the other games. So he started having house games, but his games were a little bit bigger. Like he'd have like two tables running, and he had like a real nice poker table set up with like nice chips and nice cards. And I, again, you know, I went and played there a couple times, uh, just. 
kept losing, but it was only like $20. I just thought of it as like, Hey, you're just hanging out with buddies, drinking, playing cards. I'll spend more money if I go to a bar and drink at a bar. Sure. Than if I go to my buddy's house and have some fun playing cards and drinking. Um, and then maybe I watched a few YouTube videos here and there, but still didn't really fully understand it. And then I, I guess I kind of just started getting more into it until one day, th this is like the turning point of when I got like seriously hooked. Uh, one day I was having a game at my house, like $20 buy-in tournament. And one of these, one of my friends that I had just met, I didn't know he really played poker, but I was like, Hey, we're having a poker game at my house. Do you want to come play? And he's like, well, do you guys even know how to play poker? And I was like, yeah, man, like I know how to play like a, you know, like a flush pizza straight. Right. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, do you like really know how to play? I was like, it's whatever. Just come over. We're just drinking and playing cards. And so he comes over and just like destroys us, just runs us over like uber aggressive. And after I saw him do that, I was like, oh, wow, that's so that's like how you play. Like, that's that's what damn, I want to be like that. So I just started asking him like questions all the time, like just picking his brain about like, what do you do in this spot or that spot? And then um, I guess his dad, his dad used to play a lot of poker. And then he lived in Florida before he lived, moved up to Virginia. And when he was in high school, him and his friends would go to the casino like every day after school and, and play cards. So he was like a, he was like a pretty good player. He was really good. And I just started picking his brain and getting better and better. And then I started winning like a lot of these home games. And uh, that's kind of how I started my bankroll. And then I would just watch YouTube videos all day and read and read forum posts anywhere I could find them. And I was like, oh, wow, like maybe you can really make some good money playing this game. And then not only that, like I'm just super into it. I became really passionate about it. and then almost like obsessed. I'm sure we've all probably gone through that, that point in time where you just kind of be, become obsessed with the game. Not me. Poker. No. no. I, that, I, I, I skipped through that. No, never been obsessed <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but I never, so, so my only experience now is just uh, home games. So I've never like, played in a casino or didn't know what that was all about. But um, good thing, good thing my buddy, you know, he had already played in casino a bunch of times. So uh, we had this, we had this home game and then we were down in Hampton, Virginia, like three and a half hours from MGM National Harbor near DC. And so we played Friday night. And I said, okay, if I, if I win some money in this home game, we'll take that money to the casino tomorrow and we'll, we'll do a day trip up there. Uh, so I think I won like 250 bucks and I took that money and 50 more dollars out of my bank account. So I could have a $300 buy-in because he always told me, he's like, 
You always want at least 100 big blinds to start out, and it was a 1-3 game. So uh, me and two other buddies, we take the road trip up to MGM, and we we play. The room is insanely busy. They have like 45 tables going. It's a, it's a Saturday night. It's extremely packed. I'm I'm super nervous. I'm asking him about, you know, all these different casino questions and rules because home games are a lot more relaxed and you can just get away with things, uh, especially if it's not like a serious home game, you know? And so uh, I had no idea. I mean, I still wasn't that good. Like, I, I mean, I was decent, but I, w- I was still nowhere near, you know, at the level I could be playing at. And so I turned that $300 into like 760 or something like that. I, I won like four, I think $400 within three, four hours. And I was like, wow, man, that's like a hundred dollars an hour. That's pretty good. But I, of course that's like such a short sample. But at the time I didn't really know. I was just riding the high and the and the run good that was coming at me and so get back down get back down to Hampton and and then start having more games and more games and then we didn't have casinos near us but I somehow found out about these local bingo halls that had uh been running poker inside of it and I think it popped up on my Facebook one day and I was like, oh, man, I don't know about that. Like, I kind of want to go, but that kind of sounds sketchy. You know, I don't know if that's legal. So I I tried to look up. I looked up a lot of the law, and apparently they were – there were some gray areas in there, but apparently they were getting by uh, because they were donating to different places that needed help. And so – they would run one, three and two, five, and they would run a lot of tournaments. And so, uh, I, I just started playing there, but I didn't play that much. Cause I was still kind of sketched out about it and still wasn't really sure. And it was still kind of a gray area. Um, but I mean, there was a lot of people that played there. The action was great. And despite it, despite them raking like double of what a casino would rake because you know, they're, they're, donating uh i i was still i i may have like there were quotes around donating for the podcast listener yeah. by the way. <laughs> uh, so i maybe had like 250 hours there and i mean that's still relatively small sample size but it was like a 45 to 50 dollar hourly rate and i mean of course i i mean i was probably running pretty decent but a, but because like to beat that rake, I mean, you have to be, I mean, it was, they were taking like $12 out of the pot, you know, in a one, three game, which I mean, that that's quite a bit. Um, but I guess because the act, I would kind of table select and uh, make sure that there was a bunch of chips on the table and make sure like a lot of money was going into the pots, um, you know, and, and there's just some, really really good action down there looking back at it um so I, I did that for a little bit and then the the pandemic hit and uh one of the local um local poker clubs they moved to poker bros so i deposited like 
$100 on their app. It was just a local tournament. And I, I did a $5 satellite seat. I won, I won a seat to a $50 buy-in. And then I, I won that tournament for 1000 So then um, that, that pretty much was kind of the start of my bankroll. Um, was, was that tournament and then a couple of the good sessions in the cash games. And then I would still occasionally still make the trip to MGM. Um, Cause it was only like three and a half hours. It, it just like, I felt safer playing there and, you know, just a little bit better organization. And then um, my dad lives in Pennsylvania. So anytime I would do a road trip there, I'm on my way back home. I would just swing into MGM, you know, play till 10, 11 at night, wait for all the weekend traffic to die down and then uh, make some money at the casino and then drive home. Nice, man. Sounds like you got bit by the, the poker bug and it, it was quite a an enchanting spell that was cast on you. Um, tell me, you know, you mentioned that you know, you're kind of obsessed with poker, which I assume you mentioned two plus two or four reading forums, uh, maybe our poker. Uh, but what led you into the world of like poker training platforms? And then how did you find out about Greatness Village? Um, yeah, so I think uh, when I was started watching so many YouTube videos, uh, Jonathan Little was posting um, free videos here and there. And then he would always mention his site, pokercoaching.com and, you know, all these deals. But at the time I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I don't really want to spend money on that. But eventually I think it was like, I'm giving away free 30 days, uh, you know, subscribe to my pokercoaching.com. So I just, I hopped on there, got the 30 days for free. And there was just, there was so much training and i think and i just kept it i just kept it because it was really beneficial and i was learning a lot and then if there was a spot that i had trouble with in a game i would just go up to the search bar and be like um small blind three bet out of position pots like i'm i'm stuck i'm clueless and then there'd be a video on it so i i had them for about six months and then December of 19, I think you came out with the, he was like, I'm bringing a cash game player on, uh, Coach Brad Wilson. And a lot of his stuff was, there was a lot of tournament stuff. And there was, there was some cash stuff, but not like as much. And I mean, I liked tournaments, but um, I, I only like to play like the really good deep structures just because I'm I'm more of a cash game player. Um, so I don't like the turbo tournaments and, you know, all the, the, the small structures and sure. that type of thing. So I was like, oh, sweet. Like, they're going to get a cash game coach. This is awesome. So then uh, I, I don't know if it was your first video or what, but I think it was like poker language. And you were talking about uh, poker language and different concepts. Uh, it's been a while since I watched the video, so I don't remember it quite that much, but I was like, oh, wow, like, dang, this is this is kind of a different approach that uh, Coach Brad is taking. And so 
I liked your style. And then you talked about facing poker greatness. And I was like, Oh, what's that? And then you talked about like your Slack group. So right away, I, you know, I hopped on, I created a Slack account, got it, got the invite, got accepted into the group. And, and I guess at the same time, it was kind of what I was looking for was kind of a, a smaller, tighter community, something where you could kind of get like more feedback from, from really good players and even yourself, like you'll still provide feedback and something that's pretty active to where your, your message or maybe your hand history post won't get lost because, you know, pokercoaching.com, I mean, they have a great site, but they, they have a lot of users. And so a lot of that stuff can get lost in translation. People won't reply to your hand histories. And, and so once I found this greatness village, that was a smaller community and had more feedback, I just kind of became hooked. And then uh, you had talked about pre-flop camp. I, I don't know if you remember, but I, I kept emailing you questions about it because uh, once I got to the village, I was like, oh, okay, it, I like this village, but I think they're more like online grinders. And, you know, that's kind of a little bit different format than, than a live poker scene. And so I kept asking you all kinds of questions like, well, can I like apply this to, you know, live games or live situations? And uh, pretty much like, you're like, well, yeah, like it's, it's still a foundation. It's still a really good foundation that every poker player needs in their toolbox. So um, and, and, you know, I, I, at the time, my ranges, I, I was pretty good with my ranges because I did study them a lot on poker coaching, or if I lost a big hand in a live game, I, w- I would go back and be like, wait, was, so was I even supposed to open that hand initially? Uh, and then I would find out, oh, I wasn't even supposed to open that hand. And then I'd be like, oh, well, I wouldn't even have lost the pot if I didn't open that hand in the first place. Um, so, so I had a pretty good foundation background in the preflop game, but, uh, I was like, you know what, what the heck he's giving me access to this, you know, Slack group, this community, uh, the least I could do is give back to him and, and try one of his courses. So I, I hopped on board. I did the, I did the January course last year, end of January, still learned a lot. And then at the same time, I was able to like refresh my mind about you know what what can and cannot what can i open and what can i open and then uh what it really helped me with my three betting ranges because i think uh at the time i i, I might have been three betting maybe too much at the time or i wasn't three betting with the correct hands and then i was getting stuck when i got called and i was post flop um so, so the boot camp helped me with that tremendously. And then also one of the benefits was uh, getting the poker power hour. Uh, that, that was like, you were doing that for a long time, every, every Wednesday. And I was like, wow, like, man, this is, this is such a great deal. Um, so even if you, even if you don't even really get that much out of the preflop boot camp, just having access to the 
poker power hour alone was was well worth it. Yeah, um, it still goes, you know, every Wednesday. We're still still firing along with PPH. Um I think like back then a year ago, pretty sure PPH. I can't remember when I took it uh private when um basically at some point it was it was getting to the point where um yeah so having like a group setting like that with people all interacting and sort of talking kind of at the same time it's like free flow at some point there there's a number of people that makes it like too much where there's like kind of too much going on and then also i think at at some point too i wanted to start talking about the course material in in the pph themselves because that was another thing of like oh we have like this nuffle spot that we want to talk about but like we can't talk about this like openly because there are people in here that haven't bought nuffle right they have no no idea what we're talking about and then also we're just kind of like giving away course material so yeah at some point it went to this system that i have now that i'll probably change sometime in the future of like you know you buy a course like pph is on a rotating basis of like we have bootcamp PPH and then Nuffle PPH and now Fish in a Barrel uh, slash Feeding Frenzy uh, PPH. But yeah, um, we're still going, man. It's still, it's crazy to me how Poker Power Hour has grown. I, I could almost track its progression with CPG itself. You know, when it, when I first started doing it, it was like four people every week and it just kind of steadily started adding people in and then started getting some like crushers in there. And then all of a sudden, like it just became this thing where in the beginning I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I committed to doing this. Like every, every Wednesday at 8 PM, like for the rest of my life, I'm just, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh my God, it's Wednesday. I got to go do PPH. And now on Wednesdays, it's like, I'm, I'm always happy to see all the people you know, all the regulars that show up that I can talk and interact with. It's, it's, yeah, it's a pleasure. And anyway, I know I went on a long uh, little monologue there about poker power hour, but I really, it, it's been one of the foundational pieces of CPG that probably haven't, hasn't been talked about enough um, on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember exactly when you switched it either, but I, I actually was, I think um, maybe, maybe it was like beginning of the summer of 2020 or something like that, because I do remember um, I was like, oh, okay. So now he's switched to where you have to have one of the courses to go. And then I, I missed attending it so much. I was like, well, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to check out Nuffle and, and see what that's all about. So uh, I ended up just buying Nuffle just, just one, because I kept hearing great things about Nuffle, but then two, because uh, PPH, you, you get that added, added bonus of being able to attend PPH uh, when it's uh, Nuffle's night. So uh, I ended up buying that. And then I, I was attending for, I, I actually was attending pretty, pretty regularly when it was Nuffle and uh, preflop boot camp. And then uh, the last couple of weeks, if I, I, I missed the last couple of weeks, but that was probably cause I was like out playing poker at MGM and then, uh, just missed a few sessions, but, but it's definitely extremely beneficial, especially if there's a hand you had trouble with, there's a lot of great players that, 
are, you know, 10 times better than me and, and give great feedback. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man Coach Brad Wilson. has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to ChasingBokerGreatness.com slash courses. After being, you know, in the village for like a year, what would you say is one of the ways that CPG, just the community and the courses kind of differentiates itself from, you know, other resources on the market? Yeah, like, like I said, I think it's uh, kind of being that that smaller, tighter community where um, there's a lot of other sites and there's a lot of other poker training, but it it's pretty broad. Um, so a lot of times you don't really know where to start or what to do. Um, so uh, I think you, you've kind of like narrowed it down and kind of brought that, brought that spotlight in on just these, you know, certain categories and they're really good foundation, really good for like uh, building your foundation and learning poker. Um, and I think those foundational courses are, are extremely beneficial, especially if you're just starting out uh, are kind of lost in training sites on where to start. Uh, you, you kind of, you kind of got it by the steps, like, pre-flop boot camp, fish in a barrel. And then, then you got your nuffle, like, which is like the exploits guide. So it's kind of, you know, these few items that you can really just deep dive in and study and get really real, get really uh, well-rounded with, with just these uh, few categories instead of studying, you know, 50 different, sections and then getting lost because you don't really know how to study it in order or uh, i think that's what was happening with me is I, I would just study too much stuff and then i couldn't put it together yeah just like overwhelm it's it's hard sequencing things correctly How, how'd you like nuffle by the way it was interesting it was, it's really good and then especially when you brought in the uh i think a few months after i bought it then you you brought out the other guide, right? With the uh, Nuttle and then the river one too. Yeah, Nuttle and, and, and Neural. 
Yeah, those, <laughs> and the, yeah, the short those stack were, add-on too. Those were great bonuses, and then I um, haven't even advertised those, by the way. Like I, I haven't even put on like the sales page of like neutralized turn leads and um, the short stack add-on. I'm dragging my feet. Yeah, you you need to because those are yeah those are great bonuses that come with it, and and it's pretty easy to learn. It's not something you have to you know, study for so long, you can just pull up the PDF real quick, uh, look at the charts, look at the spots, learn it, and then implement it. What would you say, like, today in your poker journey? Like, what's something you're struggling with? Well, <laughs> so right now, uh, oh, so let me, uh, let me go back a little bit to, to the story. So uh, I was in Hampton, Virginia, and then Last year I got stationed up here in DC. So now I, now I live in Maryland and now I am closer to the casino. So I, I've been playing a lot more than what I, what I used to play. Um, and I had a really good, really good month of December. I was, I was playing two five. I was winning quite a bit. I did this world college poker fall brawl, uh, got second place in that won a free vacation to, to Vegas and a bunch of free poker coaching stuff and, and mindset coaching. And, you know, I, I won all this stuff and then, uh, January hit and man, it's been pretty brutal. <laughs> it's been a pretty bad downswing. So, uh, what I did is I dropped back down to, to one, three, and I struggle so much with just how, how those players play because, I mean, they're just all over the place. And then not only that, it's just so much limping. And it's just like, they just limp everything except for like maybe the top 5% of hands. So I, I've been kind of struggling a little bit with that. Uh, just uh, kind of get, I've been having to kind of change my game a little bit. And then I talked to a couple other greatness villagers that actually they play at MGM and then um, kind of seeing what they do to change it. Cause like when I was playing two five, it was, it was a little bit more, I mean, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as one, three, two, five, maybe more similar to like uh, maybe like a low stakes online game where people are still opening and then people are still like playing ranges and it, it's not as limp happy, if that makes sense. Sure, it makes um, sense. Yeah, so uh, so when I drop back down, now I'm like, I got so used to playing 2-5, now I'm back to 1-3 just, just because the downswing became pretty brutal to where I drop back down, try to get out of it, you know, playing 1-3 and then try to move back up to 2-5. Um, but, but now I'm having to make those adjustments again. But it's almost like I forgot how I used to play in the 1-3 game. Yeah, the curse of knowledge is, is a brutal thing. You know, you kind of got to like go back in time. Um, I, I think what I would suggest, which is like just very sort of top level ABC is just like when your opponents start limping a ton, like you're incentivized to limp as well. So like I, I would just limp some hands and because you're you you have a superior ability to process post flop data points just 
do a better job than them processing those post-flop data points. And, you, you know, like, it's interesting because you want to play against those guys. Like, you want to get opportunities to make good decisions. And I don't think that, like, just playing ultra tight and then, like, raising 10x when you have, like, a strongish hand is the most efficient way to go about it. I think that like, yeah, just limp behind with some hands, like some suited aces or maybe some suited Kings and your some suited connectors, some pocket pairs, um, some of those types of hands. And then just like make superior decisions than them after the flop, because like where strong players are aware that when somebody bets out six ways, like, yo, that that's a strong hand. That's betting out six ways. That's no joke. Right. Um, <laughs> I think that a lot of players at small stakes just don't even really think about that data point. They're just kind of like looking at the hand that's in front of them and making decisions from there. So yeah, get involved, mix it up. I know that the, you know, John with the rake police would probably come after me um, a little bit for suggesting to get involved, but like you just want more opportunities to get yourself in value situations so that you can maximize value against, you know, that specific player profile. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's kind of what I'm trying to transition to. So uh hopefully I'll I'll be out of this soon and then I can move back up. Well, the interesting thing about poker is like it's still the same game. And that's something that like I, I guess I've been thinking a lot about this past year and a half or so is how, you know, we think that like small stakes and then ultra high stakes is like somehow the players are just playing like a totally different game, but the game is still the same, right? Like the object of the game, the structure of like, everything is exactly the same. It's just the players are playing quite differently at each of those stakes. And so the, the, the one thing that you have control over is to uh, make adjustments based on uh, make adjustments and problem solve based on the problem that's in front of you. And the problem that's in front of you is your table configuration, right? It's how the table is set up um, based on the number of fish and the number of regs, you know, and then adjusting from there. So, which I, I find to be like one of the more interesting parts of playing poker anyway, is just the aspect that like, yeah, you know, I sell preflop bootcamp, but I'll be the first person to start deviating from preflop bootcamp strategies when my situation merits it, right? When I'm incentivized to deviate, right? And I think that that's something that like you just have to always bear in mind is like, yeah, we have a baseline strategy, but within that baseline strategy, like it doesn't take into account somebody limping, right? Like there's, you can't add limpers in, you know, your preflop, um, grids that you study because then all of a sudden it's like oh well, what if under the gun limps what if mp limps what if cutoff limps what if like under the gun and cutoff limps it's just <laughs> it, it gets like too messy um you'd be studying ten thousand different grids so really what you do is you just take basic concepts about poker um and learn principles and then you just apply them kind of broadly yeah yeah exactly um so what what happened in the past year? You know, you've been in Greatness Village for a year. We had, yeah, we had an incident. Tell me about the incident. Yeah, so um, so I got stationed up here in D.C. in February, and then I was living with some friends while my house was being built, and 
I, you know, I'm like all excited. You know, I got to a new place. I'm up here in DC. I'm, I'm closer to my dad in Pennsylvania. I still have friends around here. I'm close to these casinos I can play poker at now. And, you know, I, I got a nice house that's uh, being built. And so uh, February to May, May was when my house was, was finished. I closed on my house, got moved into my house. And then my, um, my girlfriend, my daughter, and my girlfriend's son, they came out for the summertime, um, uh, which was like the first week of June. And I had been in my house like two weeks and, uh, we were supposed to go to six flags this day. And there was, there was forecasting, they were forecasting rain. And so we're like, ah, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't go to six flags. Maybe, maybe we'll just go somewhere else. So we decided to go to, uh, like this amusement park. It was well, an indoor amusement park. So it had, I had like laser tag and arcade. It had trampolines, obstacles and ropes courses and, you know, all kinds of stuff that I've done countless times in my life. I mean, I I grew up on a trampoline. I had a trampoline, you know, I've taken my daughter here before many times. Uh, My brother used to work at Sky Zone. And so we decide to go to this, we go to this place and we have like two hours to do whatever we want of unlimited time. So we do, we knock out everything, we do the ropes course, and there's like one more obstacle left that, that we haven't done yet. And so we're, we're like, oh, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get on it. But it ended up just being me and my girlfriend's son that hopped on it. And essentially what it was is um, there's six platforms in a circle, and in the center of the circle is um, like a padded log that pretty much spins around and it swipes, swipes just above the platform. And it it pretty much tries to like, it's like the sweeper sweeper and wipe out. And it tries to like trip you off the platform and make you land in the foam pit and the platforms padded. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like whatever, like can't be too bad. Well, I'm on this platform and I'm jumping over the log and and my girlfriend's son, he had already, he had already fell off and it's just me left by myself. And I'm like, okay, like, what's, what's the point? Like game over. Like I'm not competing with anybody else. Like turn this thing off. Well, it starts spinning so fast that I can like barely jump over it land before I have to jump again. And so I'm trying to like process you know, the, the best way to get off this thing, because like, <laughs> I'm done with this thing. I don't want to fall in the pit, Cody, fall in the foam. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I essentially, so I went to go jump into the foam pit. And when I went to go jump in the foam pit, I, I thought I had cleared the platform and I, I didn't clear the platform and I came down and landed on my, on my butt right on the edge of the platform. Uh, probably missed it by just like maybe three, four inches. And I burst fractured my L1. So I was in like the most excruciating pain I ever felt in my life. What is burst fracturing your L1? Um, so, uh, so essentially, um, uh, the vertebrae in your, in your spine, it 
L5 is like down at the bottom by your tailbone. And then it goes L4, L3, L2. And then L1 is kind of like right where your lower back like starts to arc to go up uh, to the to the T12 to 1 uh, vertebrae. So, and there's different ways to fracture it. There's like the hairline fracture, which isn't that bad. There's like a compression fracture. And then there's like a burst. A burst fracture is one of the worst ones because essentially the vertebrae, think of it like a, think of it like a soda can that gets like crushed, but you know, like crushed, like halfway. It, it pretty much breaks up into little pieces on the inside of the vertebrae. And then sometimes it can expand out and hit the spine. Luckily that, that didn't happen. That's when you can become paralyzed um, is when the bone fragment bursts out and hits the spine. Um, so I lost 35% of its height and it pretty much just got crushed. And then I got transported to the hospital. Um, it was it was horrible the way they treated me. I got transported to the hospital. They they didn't even stabilize my back or my neck, and then they um, made me getting a, get in a wheelchair at the hospital because they didn't have any beds available. And then they put me in like the ER waiting room, and then they rolled me back to a a bed finally, and then this hospital was closing the next day and moving locations. So then they were talking about having to move me to another hospital. And it was like three hours, three, four hours later before I even got any pain medicine. And so I'm just like screaming in pain in the middle of the ER. And people are probably like looking at me like I'm crazy because like it's a back injury. You can't really see what happened. It's not like my arm is just dangling there. Or I'm, I have a bloody face or something like that. And then uh, pretty much they, they do the CAT scan. And then finally, after they see the results on the CAT scan, they, um, they finally get the IV of morphine in me. So I could finally like relax. Yeah. You, um, you, you think laying on the floor of the ER screaming in pain would probably be like a, a data point they might prioritize there. Yeah. And not only that, I came from a obstacle place and people saw my injury and saw what happened and they still were treating me like shit. So they were like, well, we'll have to transport you to our new location. And I, I said, uh, just take me to Walter Reed and, and Walter Reed's a military hospital. Um, that's like just North of DC. Uh, it's one of the best military hospitals there, there is. It's where all the people that get wounded in the wars, you know, normally come to. Um, so I just told them to take me there. Like, I, I don't even want to deal with you guys anymore. So I, I got up there. They did more, more scans and MRIs. And uh, luckily, I didn't need surgery. And they were like, you'll, you'll just have to be in a back brace for three months and you can't drive. So I was, uh, I was in a back brace from June. Uh, from when it happened all the way till the end of August. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was pain every day, uh, every day, 24 seven. I was just, and it was, you know, it wasn't like I broke my arm before and 
I broke my hand and it's, you know, you hurt for like a day or two, they slap the cast on and then you're, you're good until the cast comes off. It's like a bandaid, right? Well, yeah, not with a back. And then you, you start getting like, I didn't have any nerve damage, but I still had a lot of nerve sensations going on and, you know, things running through my, you'd get like the nerve pain through your legs. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it just sucked. It was, it was three months of excruciating pain. I finally get the back brace off. And then I was like, Oh, you know, it's, it's finally over, but it wasn't, It, it was still, uh, pain like every day. And I would say maybe up to like, till last month. So about six months later, to where I'm, I'm finally feeling pretty good, but I still, you know, I still have my days where it just, it just hurts. Um, but, but it is getting better. So that's the good thing. It's just taken a really long time. I, I can still do pretty much anything really. Uh, I mean, I, I've even gone out and I, I've ran a mile already. I've ran a mile a few times. Uh, I, I used to be, uh, in really good shape. I, I've done half Ironmans. I've done Spartan races. So I, you know, I've done all these like real endurance uh, events, you know, that, that take a lot of training and a lot of time. And so I, it's like, it's what I used to love to do. And now it kind of sucks. Cause I've been, I've been having to take a, a seat for a long time and, and it takes so long to get to where you were before, uh, just, uh, just by itself. So now, you know, it's going to take even longer, but, uh, I'm going to keep trying and keep pushing. It, it's, it's something that's been really, really hard to deal with though. Uh, yeah, probably brutal. one of the, one of the toughest things I've ever gone through. And, and I mean, I did, I did convoys in Iraq and I thought that was, I thought that was tough, but this is, this has been a long, brutal journey, but, uh, I've seen people recover from tough injuries before. I'm sure I'll have complications, you know, later on, uh, and stuff that will probably come and go. But as long as I can, you know, get by and get back to being active and fit, like I once was, or at least even 50% of where I used to be, like, I'll be good to go. You'll get there, man. I think it's just, yeah, the back is, is tough. I mean, that's who'd have thought the thing to take you out is like going to the trampoline jump park, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I never had any, I never had any back issues before. And I use, and when I was driving convoys in Iraq, like I'd be, I'd have to wear a 40 pound vest in a truck that was up armored with like no suspension and potholes every 20 feet on the highways in Iraq bouncing up and down. Like, I mean, that can't be very good for your spine or back. And I, I survived all that. And then, I mean, it's just like a car crash, you know, you, you get rear ended by somebody. I know, I know plenty of people that have gotten rear ended and, you know, they have back and neck issues and, and same thing. It just, it sucks. You know, one day you're going through life cruising by you're on cruise control, enjoying it. 
you know, you're looking forward to all these new opportunities and new changes and, and then boom, yeah. this comes out of nowhere. There's um, one of the new, one of the new wolves is a paraplegic. He was 17, got into a car accident and uh, broke his back. And, and like, it's just it, these things they're Yeah. I, I find it amazing that like, we just go through our lives believing that we're kind of like just in invulnerable, you know, that, and then all of a sudden, all it takes is like one wacky moment, one thing that's just totally unexpected, unanticipated, and then boom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And especially as I was getting up and I was getting a little bit older, I actually, I stopped kind of lifting heavy in the gym. I used to always be wanting to like lift heavy or increase my strength and I even cut back on that because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I just want to take it easy now and, and get through without having all these crazy injuries. I hear about people having herniated discs from weightlifting and that, this and that. And then, and then all of a sudden I, I pull back on some other things. And then out of nowhere, like when I was least expecting it, something, something like this happens. Yeah. It's just, it's just a freak thing, you know? a freak thing. I, speaking of like lifting and backs, like I, this is more embarrassing than anything, but like, I, so uh, I hadn't lifted for a while and then I started lifting again and I did, um, pool day and the next morning, like woke up. I mean, I was sore, but that's like obviously normal and was like just putting my shoes on and I was going to do push day and just like bent over and like hurt my sciatic nerve. And, and like immediately, when I bent over to like put my, sh- I was like, uh Oh, like something's like, this is not good. Right. Like I could barely, I was like in the floor and just like, could, could barely move. Um, and that was quite painful, you know, for a number of months. And I, it, it actually took like three or four months for me to get like feeling back in like my left toe. Like it, it just like, and I mean, that's such a minor comparatively ordeal to what you know you had to deal with and it was just like yeah i just like lifted too heavy too quickly and then fucked my back up and and it took like forever to get back to like having you know full feeling just like down the left side uh, of my leg and my body i mean it was just like you know just nerve like tingling you know yeah the nerves especially take forever um that that stuff's gone i haven't really had to deal with that that stuff much like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so now it's just a matter of hopefully this lower back pains. I mean, it's getting better. It's slowly going away. So, um, and then once I can, once I can get back in shape and, and start lifting and running, I, I think, I think it'll eventually just, I'll, I'll become stronger and, and hopefully it just goes away. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, pretty crazy year. And then recently I found out I had, I have sleep apnea. So trying to get that taken care of too. Um, so once I get, once I get the mask and stuff, hopefully I start having more energy for, for the day. And then, uh, I bought a, I bought a workout and diet plan. So I'm going to start that probably in March and then try to get back into it. Man, we weren't lying. You know, you get into your thirties, like, man, shit gets real. 
<laughs> I know. And I, I was doing good. I was like, I mean, I was in shape. I, I mean, I would trail run. I mean, I would do, I would, I would go bike like 20, 40 miles, like nothing, like do it, do it every day and, and no issues. And well, then, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody in the village is rooting for you and obviously you need anything can always come to me. And yeah, it's just, I, I have no doubts that, you know, things will get increasingly better over the next six months to year. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just a fact of living is that sometimes think these things happen and they suck and really you just got to battle through, you know? Yeah. You can never be too careful. That's for sure. Yeah. And then, and then me, I'm like, I'm, I'm super stubborn and, and competitive as it is. And then, you know, I, I get my brace off and my, my doctor tells me, he's like, yeah, you can go, go do whatever you want. Just get back into it. So, so what's the first thing I go and do? I, I ride my bike like 10 miles. <laughs> Cause I was like, I just got to do something or else like, I got to know if I go ride 10 miles then. I know eventually I'll be able to get to that point again. I, I may hurt. It may suck, but I'm going to do this 10 miles just so that way I know, like, I, I do the 10 miles, I knock it out. Maybe I don't do it again for a while, but at least I know I'll, I'll eventually be able to get there. Probably not the best idea, but, you know, when my doctor probably shouldn't have told me that because once you tell me that, I'm just going to go. <laughs> it's <laughs> a green light. Okay. Let's go. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it probably wasn't the smartest idea. I, I have since dialed back and and not rushed into things. Yeah. Um and, and you mentioned the sleep too. Like it's important to you just can't overstate how impactful sleep is to recovering and being able to put your best foot forward on a day-to-day basis. I, I think that like just for the podcast listener, you know, prioritize your sleep and recovery because it's kind of everything as it relates to your energy levels, your cognition. Um, you just have to protect your sleep like it's like it's the valuable thing that it is. Yeah, and uh, and don't be hard headed or stubborn because I, I've been dealing with the sleep thing probably for at least three to four years, and and I just thought it was my job. You know, I just thought I was tired from working long hours and, and, you know, not working out as much as I used to. And I would just be exhausted throughout the day. And I was like, Oh, it's probably nothing, you know, but I probably should have got, got a sleep study done a, a, a while back. Um, and I think it's, I think it's gotten a little bit worse as time, time has gone over. So, uh, definitely if you're having any, any issues whatsoever, just, just go get looked at. Um, Cody, it's been great having you on. Uh, let, let's ask a couple questions and then we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll wrap it up. So if you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would Cody Walker change? Uh, well, I mean, I think the, the obvious answer that everybody would pick was just make it legal everywhere, but <laughs> that's the obvious answer. So I, I think one thing now currently is is the youtube vloggers are just becoming really popular and i think uh i think these poker rooms and these poker managers just need to 
just allow them to record, you know, allow them to, even if they have to fill out some type of application to get approval, I, I think it's great for the, I think it's great for the game. I mean, they're pretty much advertising for poker rooms and there's still a lot of poker rooms out there that, that are denying them or kicking them out for, for recording their vlogs. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, they got to catch up with the times, right? Like this is a, one of the major points of friction as it's related, because I've thought, ah, like I could do a poker vlog. Um, even though I don't have poker rooms in my area, but like the big pain in the ass for me is like, well, how do you like logistically go about recording everything? Um, and, and just, you know, I actually talked to Brad Owens about it and he was basically like, you know, just, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. And, and I was like, Oh God, like, why is it that like in my life, I, I want to follow the rules. Like I, I'm like biologically, I just want to follow the rules. And then like every part of my career is always like, fuck. Okay. I guess I got to like tell them, tell the bank why I'm getting, or, you know, tell the bank a story is why I'm getting a $3,000 check from like Singapore. And it's like, <laughs> God, why can't I just do what I do? And like, everything be transparent and everything be okay. There's always these like little speed bumps, um, just in the poker world due to, you know, the legality of it and, and some of the, some of the rules. Of course. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great one, man. And I, I think that's actually unique. I don't think anybody's, um, used their magic wand on that yet. Uh, if you could put up a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's your billboard say? So like, like I said, I've been in this pretty brutal downswing. You know, I've been pretty card dead. So a lot of times I have to remind myself like, hey, just be patient, be patient. So I think my billboard would say, uh, just be patient. The cards will come. Uh, just to remind myself, you know, sometimes I get in that, you know, you're card dead for so long and then. I mean, you see a, a decent hand, but it's not the best hand. And then you start forcing action with it and then you get yourself into trouble. For sure. Trying to like forcing things is one of the worst things you can do in live poker. And it's very, it's a very appealing thing to do, especially when you start like justifying it in your head of like, oh, I saw them. I saw that dude over there play like three bet the ace 10 off like an hour ago. I, I can three bet this, right? Like <laughs> you just like, oh, I, I saw, I see these guys like limping in with like seven, eight off. Maybe, maybe I can do that too. Like we start like justifying just wanting to play hands. And that's like, especially problematic because, you know, your edge is through not, doing those things <laughs> the, they're doing these things that are like costing them money and so doing things that cost you money is not a way to get unstuck or unburied um you just gotta like stick to your plan be disciplined make good decisions and if you do that consistently without kind of spazzing out then eventually you know the money will come exactly um cody it's been great uh hope you get better, you know, in the, in the next six months or so, everybody in the village rooting for you. I remember when you made the post that you had hurt your back. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it, that's, yeah, again, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. And, you know, it's, it's awesome that you're persevering and I have no doubt that you'll, you'll get better. And, um, anything else that you'd like to, to say to any aspiring poker player before we shut it off? 
Uh, no, I just appreciate the time and thank you for having me on. It's been great. It's my pleasure, man. It's one of the, my favorite things about this whole project of chasing poker greatness is just getting to know all the villagers better and develop the relationships with all these human beings. It's just, I could not have predicted it, but it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, and yeah, I don't take credit for the folks that have joined the community, but they're amazing human beings and I'm grateful that they have, uh, you included. So take care, man. Appreciate your time. We'll be chatting in the near future. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.